And welcome back to Coaching with the Bible. This is episode 89, season 2, episode 35, the beginning of the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, the fourth of the five books of the Torah, the five books of Moses. Great to have you back with us as we're just about at the cusp of our 90th episodes. It's super exciting that we've gotten to this point. Our subject this week is belonging and identity. The fourth book of the Bible opens up with a long, long discussion the numbers of the people who exist in the people of Israel. So it's counting. It lists off the leaders by name, lists off each of the tribes, the size of each tribe, the location of each tribe when they will travel, and then it gets into the roles of the tribe of Levi, the Levites. Last year in this discussion, we talked about the idea of harmony in terms of all the moving parts and how beautiful the movement of the people together was. And here I'd like to zoom in more specifically because what happens here in the Bible this week is that as much as we get this sense of the global size and scope of the people of Israel as they're counted in the desert again, we also get some individuation. So we have the big and we have the small. We have the full and we have the part, or the whole and the part. And so it's interesting and important to delve a little bit into the space wherein everyone belongs and everyone has an identity. And so we begin with this. In the beginning of the second chapter, the Bible tells us that each person would sit, would stay, would live with their tribe, with their flag, and in the house of their fathers. The explanation that's brought down is that every single tribe had their own flag, that every single grouping of tribes had its flag, and that every house basically had its colors, for lack of a better term. It's almost like its crest for every different family. And so the way the hierarchy sort of works from bottom to top is that you had every family household, right, belonging to the house of the father. Then it would go from that specific house up one level, let's say, to the tribal level. And then from the tribal level to the location as to where they would be sitting around the encampment, and then part of the people of Israel. And so at each stage of that process, there's another self-identification that exists. And so there's the national sense of being part of the people of Israel. And then as you go down or as you go up, each one has its own thing. So super interested in the subject of flags because like, you know, what is that? Where does that come from? What's the history of it? And it's a long history of national symbols and national flags. We see athletes wrap themselves in their national flag when they are victorious. The pride that they have in the national anthem as a state symbol or a symbol of who they are and where they're from. On the flip side of it, when a flag is burnt, 
and how demeaning and diminishing that is, what that means, what they're saying when they burn the flag, stomp on the flag, whatever it may be. So I actually saw a post this week on LinkedIn that talked about the flag of Israel and the history of the flag of Israel, that it dates back sometime into the, potentially into the 1860s, but into the 1880s, the idea of a flag that's blue and white with a star of David at the center of it, and has a history. And one piece that I saw potentially ascribes the notion of national flags or tribal flags to actually back to the Bible here with respect to the tribes as described here. Now, where it goes and how it goes and how it got there is beyond the scope of today, but it is worth thinking about how did that happen exactly that the people of Israel ultimately had flags. So obviously they didn't have loudspeakers. They weren't calling out, everyone who belongs to the tribe of Reuben should go over here. Right? That wasn't happening. They couldn't text each other the location of where they were going to be. So they needed some sort of symbol that was high enough in the air, obviously, that would uh, designate as to where people should go and where they belong. So one of it possibility is very practical. They needed some sort of a symbol. A lot of Midrashic literature and commentary talks about the idea that it actually has two places in history. One dates all the way back to Jacob. That Jacob sort of establishes, obviously he is the father of the tribes, but he also establishes the notion that each tribe has its own identity, has its own belonging, has its own purpose. And so that it goes back to there. And the second one actually back to Sinai, that there's this idea that the people standing at Sinai witnessed the presence of angels and the angels came down with flags and they wanted to be similar to the angels. And so they then had the opportunity to have flags. And so it goes all the way, as I said from the beginning, just to repeat it, from the top all the way down. So you have the national, the tribal, the communal, the family, and then really importantly, the individual. Every individual counted. Every individual has a purpose. Every individual has an identity that belongs to them and that also belongs on some level to where they live and exist. And so the concept of identity of belonging is very important here. And I want to differentiate between belonging and fitting in because the truth is those two things are not the same to quote the person who I've, I think I've quoted the most often here uh, in Coaching with the Bible is Brene Brown. I'm in the middle of another one of her books at the moment called Daring Greatly. So she talks about the differentiation between fitting in versus truly belonging. And they're not, they're not the same thing. Fitting in is the greatest barrier to belonging, she writes. Fitting in, I've discovered during the past decade of research, is assessing situations in groups of people than twisting yourself into a human pretzel in order to get them to let you hang out with them. Belonging is something something else entirely. It's showing up and letting yourself be seen and known as you really are, whatever that may be. Many of us suffer from the split between who we are and who we present to the world in order to be accepted. But we're not letting ourselves be known, and this kind of incongruent living is soul-sucking. Where we're always trying to fit in, always trying to, belo- to to get into some group, 
So we're squeezing into that group. We assess the new situation. We look at it and we think, how do I fit in here? And then we change ourselves to try to fit in. When we belong, we show up as who we are and people accept us for who we are. And so there is this individuation that's very important, self-identity, the authentic self, which is crucial for us as people to be who we are meant to be and not be who other people deem us to be or want us to be. So getting from one to the other, one which is real, one which is authentic, away from that which is fake, away from that which is a facade, away from that which is a a mask, is the deep inner work of self-identification, of finding the tribe that we actually belong to. Appreciating that even as we belong to a tribe, we also belong to ourselves as well. And that we can't and we shouldn't foist onto other people who and what they should be, who and what they should believe. We have to allow them to be their authentic selves. We can help them get there. We can create or design an environment that a person can then self-develop and figure it out. But in the end, the person has to appreciate that they themselves have their own identity, have their own purpose, have their own goals in the world. There's a beautiful article in a, in a book called Netivot Shalom, who I've mentioned multiple times over the course of Coaching with the Bible, written by the rabbi of Slonim, the prior rabbi of Slonim. And in there, he delves deep into the idea that every person is like every star, and that just like every star has a purpose in the universe, even if we don't know it or appreciate it or understand it, all the more so that every individual has a purpose in the world as well. Every, per- every person is a flag. Every person has an identity. And what's important with the idea here with coaching with the Bible is giving ourselves the space and the ability to figure out how do we, how do we belong to the tribe but also stay an individual? How do we get away from fitting in and being true to who we actually are And then belonging to the larger group as well. We have to appreciate that being part of a larger group does have its benefits. Being part of a tribe is valuable. Obviously, it's validating for what we might actually personally believe. To be part of a group that believes the same way that we do is validation. It's meaningful. But it also provides an additional layer of identity. It allows us to claim purpose common purpose we'll get to in just a moment as well. So we see that, you know, perhaps in the worst form and the moment in terms of tribalism in political arenas, but it allows us to attach. Being part of the group gives us the support system that we may need when we're, when we're falling, we're slipping, or we're not succeeding. And so we see that in community. Quite often. The sense of belonging to the larger community is the sense of all those three things together, validation, purpose, support, 
And obviously, being part of a tribe gives you the opportunity to avoid loneliness. Knowing that you have a place to go on a Saturday or a Sunday to a synagogue, to a church, on a Friday, to a mosque, to a community center on a Tuesday evening, to an adult ed class on a Monday, to the card game that you play in. So it helps you stay part of the group. Not fitting in, but part. You belong. That's your group. And so we understand the benefits of belonging to the tribe, but we also have to appreciate the idea of how we then develop ourselves to figure out which tribes do we belong to, which self is real, and therefore which tribes do we belong to. When we are willing to shed and open it up for ourselves, we realize often that we're putting on these masks and that we're trying to squeeze ourselves into communities of practice or cultures, whatever they may be, that are not real, that are not actually us. And we live those lies, we live those masks, we're acting for extended periods of time in our life. And we're exhausted. And so how do we, how do, we do that? What are, we, what are we supposed to do? And so in a work environment, there are really two main things that can be done. And these are many more steps than what we're just going to describe here. But really nothing unites different people to get them the sense that they belong together than a unifying and compelling purpose. So they can come from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of countries. But if the purpose is big enough and meaningful enough, that they can attach to it and they belong with it. So then there's no need or the sense that they have to fit in in any sort of way. That this is how we do things and this is how we look here. No, we belong to the bigger purpose. The second thing is really fostering and creating that culture of inclusiveness and belonging. Right? There was a LinkedIn survey some time ago that asked, what would make you feel like you belong at the company that you work for? And the most Obvious and popular answers were the following, being recognized for my accomplishments, having opportunities to express my opinions freely, feeling that my contributions in team meetings are valued, feeling like my company cares about me as a person, feeling comfortable with being myself at work. All these things create that culture of inclusiveness, that, that culture of belonging that we all really crave in our lives and in the world. But for ourselves, it's really important that we think about this too. Like how do we, first for ourselves, figure out who we are? What's our identity? What do I belong to as a person? And what do I not belong to? What attaches to me? What's part of me? And what really isn't? And so a lot of the time in society, they want to pigeonhole us. They want to label us. They want to assess us wherever it may be, in whatever environment we're in, a certain way, establishing the norms for the tribes that we may find ourselves. How do we belong to a group? We're exceedingly wealthy. We're exceedingly tall. We have a large family. We are very good looking. We're extremely popular. We have nice things, right? That's how the world would describe that sense of success. And a lot of people try to fit their way into that. They try to make the world uh, the, uh, their personal world, that world, 
But as Stephen Covey said, our world is built upon social image consciousness, techniques, and quick fixes. With social band-aids and aspirin that address acute problems and sometimes even appear to solve them temporarily, but left the underlying chronic problems untouched to fester and resurface time and again. Who says it better than Covey? The reality of it is, is that those things are band-aids. They cover things. It's not real. It's not true. It's false. It's fake. It's just another thing. People obsess over them. It's easier to obsess over those things and to try to actualize it in things and in stuff than to do the work that's inside, the inner work, the hard work, the difficult work, the finding the ideal identity, the authentic you on the inside. And so here is what I would suggest with respect to ourselves as to how we do this, is to ask ourselves some questions. We can do this on our own. We can do this with others. We can do this with our friends, our siblings, our spouses. We want to first approach authenticity, which we've talked about here. We want to think about what's, the, what's my authentic self? What am I actually? And what am I not? Where do I thrive and where do I succeed? Where am I my best self? So we ask ourselves all kinds of questions, right? So let's say I went through something that was difficult. And I want to share it with someone. And what would happen? I would ask myself, ask myself the following question. What, what would I afraid of? What would I afraid would happen if I shared that experience with this other person? So let's say I, I misstepped. I did something wrong. I said something stupid. It happens. And now I want to share that with someone else. So what would happen if I did share that? Like, what would I think about if, if that was coming out? How would I feel if I didn't share that? Right? So now I'm holding it in. And then if, 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 it, if I could share it with the person and I, and I really weren't afraid at all, so what would I say in those moments? Like this is me coming out of, out of myself and becoming self-actualized, being my authentic being. Right? I've talked in other places with other groups about authentic leadership. Let's talk about authentic self for a minute. So how do I share these things? How do I, how do I open up to these situations? These are really important questions. They really help us to get to the places where we want to be. This really gets us to the place we really want to succeed. This is really like, you know, our exploration, our self-exploration. And it allows us to establish to some degree what, what really bothers us, what's really important to us, and what isn't. When we explore our personal value systems, when we explore our belief systems, for ourselves and with others, if we can have open conversations around these things. We explore our strengths and our weaknesses. We talk about where we're good and where we're not good. Explore where we have confidence and we don't have confidence, where we feel strong, where we feel weak, where we feel very vulnerable. The inner work of authentic self, of self-identification, of determining who we actually are, allows us to be more comfortable with who we are. It allows that to shine through and it helps us find the tribes that we actually belong to. 
rather than the ones that we're trying to fit into. Belonging is natural, fitting in is fake. And we do this sort of inner exploration with ourselves. We think about all kinds of different, very difficult, very deep issues about our, who we are as a, as a person. It allows ourselves to be seen. It allows us to have comfort, congruence, alignment, harmony, all the things we talked about last year, actually, at this time in the Bible. So we can move forward. It's an important exploration in the Bible here because this is the moment right before the people are set to enter the land of Israel. Now, we know that doesn't happen immediately. But this sort of exploration, this sort of counting of every individual, this sort of establishing the tribal belongings of every person, the notion that every person has purpose, has value, has impact on the larger community and obviously on, their self, on themselves, super vital to the success of the nation, super vital to the success of the tribe in fulfilling its purpose. And it's super vital for us in the work environment to establish those inclusive environments, to establish environments where people belong no matter who they are, no matter where they come from. And it works for ourselves as well. We are always who we're going to be. We're always ourself. But the question is whether or not we allow ourselves, ourselves to see who we actually are. And if we don't like what we see, to change who we are. Because that's actually possible too. With the right amount of work, with the right amount of technique, with the right amount of deliberative practice, we can change the identity, not to some fake identity, but to a different version of our identity, a better version, a better, the better person, the best self, the most authentic self that we can possibly be. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week. I thank you as always for listening. Great to have you in the fourth book of the five books of Moses, our, almost our second time through the Bible. Can't wait to see you next week.